0: When the Ukraine scandal broke wide open and an impeachment inquiry became inevitable, Republicans in Congress had to say something, anything. What they came up with, though, didn't hold together very long. President Trump had just been caught making military aid to Ukraine, a vulnerable U.S. ally contingent on Ukraine providing a political favor to him, personally. That's extremely corrupt, even if you believe Trump didn't make his threat in the most explicit possible terms. The president of the United States simply cannot make foreign governments think the key to American friendship is giving him, personally, things of value. But at the time, more than a few Republicans invented a new line. Whatever Trump had said on that phone call to the president of Ukraine, it wasn't an explicit quid pro quo. And unless Democrats could find evidence of one, Trump should skate. Here's Senator Lindsey Graham.
1: If you're looking for a circumstance where the president of the United States... Was threatening the Ukraine with cutting off aid unless they investigated his political opponent, you would be very disappointed.
0: That does not exist, doesn't it? Though.
1: Gotta say it only in the age of Trump. The latest bombshell came from Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney admitting there was indeed a quid pro quo.
0: And that was the legality of the issue. But
1: to be clear, what you just described is a quid pro quo. It is. Funding will not flow unless the investigation into the, into the Democratic server uh, happens as well. We,
0: we, do, we do that all the time. Here to react, former White House Press Secretary, Fox News contributor Ari Fleischer. You watched this, Ari. Yeah. Uh, did he make things better or worse? Worse. <laughs> Whoops. To call what we've learned since the impeachment process began a setback for Republican defenses of the president would be a huge understatement. And the death blow came this week. Meet Gordon Sondland. Sondland is a wealthy hotel executive who bought his way into the U.S. ambassadorship to the European Union by making large donations to Donald Trump. In that role, Trump enlisted him as one of his point men in the scheme to shake down Ukraine, which we should note is not a member of the European Union. Then, in a fateful twist, he became one of the only Trump loyalists to testify to the impeachment committees. And when he did, he lied. He lied a lot, in fact. And when he didn't lie outright, he had convenient lapses in memory. He tried to walk an impossibly fine line where he acknowledged that, yeah, maybe some people in Trump's orbit were up to no good in Ukraine, but he wasn't a part of it. And as for the president, Sondland said Trump claimed the messy Ukraine business wasn't about a quid pro quo at all. Republicans therefore placed a lot of stock in Gordon Sondland. Unfortunately for them and for Sondland, He got caught. And lying to Congress is a crime. So on Tuesday, before Democrats disclosed his deposition, he filed an affidavit with the House claiming he had, quote, refreshed his recollection. And not only was there a quid pro quo, but he delivered it personally. No military aid unless Ukraine investigates Trump's political enemies and announces it on television. Everyone knew the score because, again, Sondland had no official role in Ukraine, But he does have a direct line to the president himself, or at least he did. For a long time now, we've known that facts would overtake Republicans, quote, explicit quid pro quo red line. It was just a matter of when, and that moment has arrived. So where does that leave them? Lindsey Graham did the grown-up equivalent of covering his hands with his eyes to make himself invisible. He told CBS that he would simply refuse to look at the evidence in Sondland's sworn statements. How do you have a quid pro quo when the person who was the subject of the, the prose said it didn't happen. Do Did you plan on reading
1: these transcripts that were released? <laughs>
0: no. But that's not all they're doing. First, they're laying the groundwork to acquit Trump anyhow based on what's already known today.
1: I will say I'm pretty sure how it's likely to end. If it were today, I, I don't think there's any question, it would not lead to a removal. So the question is just how long does the Senate want to take?
0: Second, They're trying their best to make sure no new information comes to light. This week alone, several key witnesses have defied their subpoenas, including former National Security Advisor John Bolton, Acting White House Chief of Staff McMulvaney, and John Eisenberg, the top national security lawyer at the White House. Then, to scare any other honorable public servants from coming forward, they're doing this.
1: We also now know the name of the
0: whistleblower. I say tonight to the media... Do your job and print his name! In short, the plan is to do whatever it takes to hold the line. My guest today is Dahlia Lithwick. She's Slate's legal writer and the host of the podcast, Amicus. She's here to help us answer some obvious but important questions. What else are they hiding? Why does it matter? And can they get away with it? I'm Brian Boitler, and this is Rubicon. Hey, listeners. Congress is on recess until next week, and our friends at Indivisible are taking the opportunity to help you let your representatives know how you feel about impeachment. This is a really important window for citizens to show up at town halls, thank impeachment supporters in Congress, and give impeachment opponents, aka Republicans, a piece of their minds. Specifically, it's important to get constituents on video asking them, do you think it's okay for a president to ask a foreign country to interfere in our elections? If you want an answer to that question or just want to watch Republicans squirm, go to impeach.indivisible.org for all the resources you need. Dahlia Lithwick, welcome to Rubicon.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So I feel like this week we finally reached the end of the kind of flow chart of potential Republican defenses of Donald Trump, right? So first it was like, Quid pro quo was there or wasn't there. Um, And then they tried to say there wasn't, but it turns out, yes, in fact, there was. And so then they switched tracks to, okay, but it wasn't an explicit quid pro quo. And then now we learn, alas, yes, it was an explicit quid pro quo. And so the last path available to them was there's nothing wrong with quid pro quos if they're not corrupt, Um, which on on the one hand is like a very insulting to our intelligence thing for them to say, right, because this is Donald Trump. Um, and like uh, Donald Trump literally like has urged Congress to repeal the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. But then uh, his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, who, who, who is now in his own criminal trouble, gets on Twitter last night and he says, I'm a private lawyer and everything that happened in Ukraine was because I was looking out for the interests of my legal client. Um, and maybe the less said about Rudy, the best. But I, but I think that's it. I mean, he's basically he's basically saying, no, this was not done in, in America's interest. It was done in my client's interests. And I don't think that there's any other road of defense on the on the material question of quid pro quo. Is that how you see it?
1: I, I think there's probably the cherry on top to the the sort of ice cream sundae you just constructed. And that is Lindsey Graham saying on Wednesday, well, it can't have been a Quid pro quo, because they're too incoherent to have fashioned one. Uh, so I think that's the you know nihilist cherry on top. Where once you deny it, then deny that it's a crime, then suggest that everybody does it. I think you go with the Donald Trump is too incoherent to ever be able to formulate a, a quid pro quo ask. And I think with that cherry on top, I think you've pretty much yes, that's the Sunday.
0: And I think that that's, like, directly connected to the fact that Lindsey Graham is also, like, like, saying I'm not going to read any of these deposition transcripts because, like, right there in the most recent transcripts that have been released is Trump's uh, donor and diplomat, Gordon Sondland, saying I actually am the one who delivered the quid pro quo myself to the Ukrainians, right? so So – you know, whatever Lindsey Graham wants people to believe, the 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 factual record, you know, that people have sworn to under oath, is that we were in fact competent enough to uh, put together a quid pro quo, and 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 I'm the guy who delivered it, and it and it it's there, it's it's sworn testimony.
1: So, so so I have two thoughts about this that have been plaguing me this week, and one of them, I guess, has been plaguing me for two weeks, Brian, and that is. We're having a conversation as though this is like a mob investigation, or you know, a drug deal, and I worry a lot uh, about relying too much on. Does this fit a quid pro quo definition for, say, a criminal bribery prosecution or? If you're going after, you know, a mobster Uh, and, and, and the reason I worry is because it airlifts all of this out of the impeachment world, which is doesn't have to be a crime, doesn't have to be a, you know, federal statute that's broken. And it allows us to get into these very. I think, granular fights about does this meet the technical definition of a quid pro quo for purposes of a bribery statute, where that has actually nothing to do with what the House is investigating and what the Senate will eventually try. And the only reason, which isn't to say, I want to be super clear, it's not unbelievably significant that, you know, whether it's campaign finance statutes or bribery or Uh, any kind of corruption that we're trying to ferret out here. It's not that it's not relevant that crimes may have been committed, but I think that we have to be capacious and willing to say, yes, this was a crime, and also, yes, this bucket of abuse of power that the House is investigating and the Senate will try doesn't have to fit the criminal elements of a bribery statute. And the reason I'm fussed about it a little bit is because it gets you. Very quickly, they go down the rabbit hole of due process, right? They start saying, "Oh, mm-hmm. you know, the whistleblower. This is the fruit of the poisonous tree," as though this is the search of a glove compartment that <laughs> all of the all of the things that that flow from the whistleblower complaint are illegitimate. And so, I'm trying to, in my own head, have these two buckets be separate and say we can definitely have a conversation about Sondland and. Volcker and uh, Taylor and the quid pro quo it's essential but it's also not the totality of what we're looking at what we are looking at is a much 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 broader you know you have to widen the aperture way out and look at abuse of power and look at obstruction you know the actual articles of impeachment and not to let yourself get into a slap fight with Lindsey Graham about whether he thinks it's corrupt quid pro quo does that make sense what I'm saying?
0: absolutely yeah no i i think i i like to hope that when we reach the passing articles of impeachment phase that they're not like highly uh wrapped up in what gordon sonland specifically testified to given that he also lied under oath and yada 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 i think you think you know what democrats are trying to do is corner republicans to where they have to look ridiculous they have to violate standards they set for themselves they have to um uh, maybe they just have to say we're, we're good with this kind of corruption, but, the, but they're trying to close off avenues of escape that I think Republicans hoped at the, at the start of this they might have. And I kind of think that that's why Lindsey Graham is saying, I'm just not going to look at the transcript. Like it sounds completely ridiculous, but un- until he lands on something uh, a little more sustainable, it's really all he's got. And so once they're cornered, then you can kind of zoom out a little bit and say, okay, so so given that we've established that the the corrupt coercion uh, at the heart of the scandal happened, what offenses of power, uh, what abuses of power are we going to actually enumerate as charges against him? And that can be everything from uh, bribery which is in the Constitution as a as a high crime and misdemeanor that the president should be removed from power for to... Um, to refusing to provide the aid that Congress appropriated, which is illegal. Um, I mean, the the we we could draw out a pretty long list. I think, but but closing off um, that avenue of escape for them is, I think, what the purpose of um, of this line of questioning and the depositions and the release of the transcripts is about.
1: I, I think that's right, and I think. That given that public opinion suggests that Americans really understand and overwhelmingly object to the idea that appropriated funds that were designated to go to Ukraine to help them protect themselves from Russia were being held up. In exchange for proclamations from the rooftops that the Bidens were being investigated for corruption and that the Ukrainians themselves had uh, interfered in the 2016 election. You're quite right. I think, as a simple, saleable, this is the story we're going to tell. People feel that that is a hinky thing that was done. And so we're going to just keep telling that story. I do think, you know, that the interesting piece of this that. Republicans, both in the House and the Senate, have resorted to in addition to either the Lindsey Graham, la, 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 I'm not listening, and I can't, I'm not, (laughs) as a juror in this impeachment trial, even going to read testimony. But I think the other thing that is interesting is this I'm rubber, your glue defense, which is to just keep saying we're going to put Hunter Biden on trial, we're going to put the Bidens on trial, Bill Barr is collecting evidence that's going to support this, uh, you know, wackadoo theory that it was not Russian interference, but Ukrainian interference. And so... I think the thing to watch for is there is almost perfect parody that they keep throwing sand into the gears here and saying, oh, no, this is not about uh, Donald Trump's corruption. This is about Joe Biden's corruption. And this is not about Russian interference. This is Ukraine interference. And the level of just deliberate counter-programming so that you can just keep changing the subject back to Benghazi or back to whatever, (laughs) you know, the scandal du jour is, is, I think that's the other move here. And it means that you're almost in this split-screen world where if you really believe that the original sin here is... Hunter Biden, you can really, I think, make a lot of hay, especially with the assistance of Fox News and other conservative media. You can just keep telling this parallel story that the thing to watch here isn't Donald Trump and his quid pro quo. The thing to watch is the deep state. Right now, we have Lindsey Graham making claims that Sondland is a Democrat, you know, in it in the tank for the deep state. Um, So I think that that's the other thing that is confusing that makes this different from Watergate is that at any given moment we have two almost completely irreconcilable narratives being floated. And the more, as you say, the more pressure Republicans uh, in the House and the Senate find themselves under, the more it's like they're like a vending machine that they just have to hemorrhage up Hunter Biden, you know, in response to everything. And I think those deflections are of a piece with this you know, we're just going to keep saying there's no corrupt intent, therefore no quid pro quo. The other thing is you're missing the real scandal. The real scandal is, you know, Jim Comey and and uh, Robert Mueller and they all have to go to jail.
0: Right. So you th- you you think that, that if the quid pro quo defenses are, are all expired at this point, that they will just double down on this sort of disinformation, what aboutist thing where, OK, fine, you got our guy on the quid pro quo, but we're going to get you on – you know, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page being fantastic lovers or whatever, um, and, and just run with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're already hearing an awful lot of that, and we're hearing, you know, rightly or wrongly, um, House Republicans have been given a lot of power to call witnesses and to ask questions and to, if they choose to Benghazify, I know that's not a word, but if they choose to turn the hearings that are going to start next week into, uh, you know, but enough about uh, Bill Taylor, let's talk about, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton. I think that there's going to be a lot of that. And I think that in some sense, that ground has been seeded for a long, long time, right? This is the almost the, the, the beating heart of the Roger Stone uh, trial right now is to just keep Going back to the well of, you know, deep state and corruption and if you knew what we knew about Bob Mueller and the FBI and the CIA, you would know that the real scandal is there. And the fact that Rudy Giuliani is out there tweeting that, um, that this is the real story and America is being distracted, I think is – What differs from Watergate? I I wrote a piece this week just pointing out that by the end of the televised Watergate hearing, 71% of Americans across every political and ideological line said they were watching. You're never going to have that in 2019. And there is a sizable percentage of the population that is always going to be absolutely convinced that jim comey is the sole bad actor uh in american constitutional democracy
0: right yeah and i mean i do think you're right that even like the media is so fragmented that that um it will be hard for democrats to to make these public hearings have the effect um that some of them some of them who like who have living memory of watergate hope they will because the media has become so fragmented like We did some impeachment polling with change research ju- just this week, and um, it really kind of opened my eyes to how brittle in theory Trump's grip on the presidency is, um, or at least how, how brittle uh, it would be in absence of this vast effort to shield him from accountability. And it, it showed that Republicans like just Republican voters just overwhelmingly believe the Ukraine accusations are untrue. Um, and that's particularly the case with Republicans who get all their news from Fox. And then there's this, this other set, um, a smaller set that basically accept the, the, the true narrative of events, but, um, but they don't think it rises to the level of impeachment. So from where I sit, um, that maps really neatly onto the two main planks of the Republican approach that we've been talking about, um, which is one, keep lying about what's known. But then two obstruct the investigation so that no further damning details come out. Um, and from my perspective, that just puts the fact that this week alone several witnesses have defied subpoenas and Republicans have stepped up efforts to retaliate against the whistleblower. It puts all that into like a, an even more sinister light, right? Like th- this isn't just undifferentiated, like throw whatever you can at the wall and hope it sticks. It, but it's it's actually a very deliberate strategy
1: I think you're absolutely right, and I think maybe the best, most emblematic piece of evidence that goes to that is that we are still hearing about the whistleblower and that the whistleblower is somehow illegitimate or that the whistleblower who followed— every single step to make sure that uh, the reporting was done in a lawful way is still being targeted uh, and, in fact, outed and named in some quarters. as though it were not the case that we've had multiple witnesses now testify to substantially the same facts that the whistleblower uh, alleged initially, that the whistleblower, you know, remember in the first weeks it was hearsay, the whistleblower wasn't in the room where it happens. Now we have people in the room where it happened unequivocally substantiating those claims. And instead of reckoning with that, we're going back and trying to crucify the whistleblower. And I think that that is, exactly the kind of obstruction that you're talking about. And it's also a little bit attempt to razzle-dazzle or rope-a-dope. You know, all these subsequent witnesses must be illegitimate because the whistleblower was illegitimate. Without saying no, all of these stories conform to the same narrative. Therefore, we can now put the whistleblower aside. So I think you're quite right. I think there is a deliberate attempt to sort of pull the Jenga piece from the very bottom and make the whole thing come down. And I think of a piece with that is the implication that Gordon Sondland is somehow a secret Democrat who accidentally gave a million dollars to Donald Trump. I mean, it's an attempt, I think, over and over and over again to go back to this initial narrative that there was something amiss with the whistleblower rather than reckon with the facts on their face, uh, which, as you say, I think points up a pretty clear unequivocal pattern of uh, attempting to get uh, Ukraine to dig up up a research on the Biden. So it's pretty clear that that's the strategy. And again, I think you can even look at moving uh, the phone call to a secret server that was not designed to hold things that were simply embarrassing uh, to the president. I think it's all part of this larger Pattern, and if I guess I would just say, if you even think back to the Mueller report, so much of the Mueller report was about people who were told to obstruct and didn't obstruct, or told to do something unlawful and didn't do something unlawful. The, the machinery of covering for Donald Trump's bad acts or unlawful acts is such a huge part of the problem here. Uh, And to me, I guess one of the questions I wanted to ask you is I think it's fascinating that it's the Foreign Service that cracks. I mean, I think there's something profound about the fact that it's the Foreign Service who is coming in uh, defying the White House's orders and saying we're actually no longer willing to be part of an apparatus that exists solely to protect Donald Trump from himself.
0: Right. Well, so my my thought on that is that um, the the administration has only so much leverage uh, or, or, you know, just Trump world in general, the right has only so much leverage to bring to bear over somebody like Bill Taylor um, or or Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. Um, but they can punish certain people, right? Like they, they want it to be clear that like if you come forward – to accuse Trump of something new, or to bring new information to light, uh, we can make your life hell. I, with, in the case of the whistleblower, like we can actually like threaten your physical safety, um, and it it makes me think that, it, and I think that, that the same thing is happening or about to happen to to Gordon Sondland, right? Is that like you will be punished for having confirmed the whistleblower account because you were our guy who was supposed to provide the doubt that we needed to say that, okay, like nothing that the whistleblower said was true. But of course, all of it has been true so far. And what the purpose of that is, I think, is on the one hand to to be able to, if they can, so doubt about what is already known. But then separately is to is to uh, ward off people like John Eisenberg, who's the he's the top White House national security. Uh, lawyer, or John Bolton, the former national security advisor, or even Mick Mulvaney, uh, the, the acting chief of staff, that there's more to be learned about what happened here, but we aren't going to let it come out. And if you if you go to Congress and you tell them what else there is to know, there will be punishment for you. And um, like I, I feel like there's a danger here for Democrats in, in wrapping this up before they get to some of those witnesses that they'll have this one aspect of the scandal neatly tied up in a bow. But we won't know from Eisenberg, say, if it was common practice to put call transcripts on this classified server to hide abusive or embarrassing uh, conversations Trump had with foreign leaders. And we won't know from John Bolton whether Trump has more broadly corrupted foreign policy. And we won't know from mick mulvaney or any of of his deputies whether trump directly ordered the pentagon not to provide uh, military aid to ukraine uh, which which is an impeachable crime on its own um, and and those are really important aspects of the story and if and, and they're the kind of details that i think if if they became you know central to the narrative just as central as the as the question of quid pro quo is um, would be really damaging to Trump. I mean, like, the the, the polling suggests that, like, if you just t- abstract Trump's name out of uh, the question of the scandals, like, 60% of the public says, yeah, that's totally impeachable conduct. And that's just about the the coercion. So that's what I think this is about, is that is that, like, the cover-up remains ongoing. That's why Trump has, like, drawn a line and said, you know, like— you know, if, if if you're on my side, you don't go testify, and we'll get your back on that. And if Democrats sue to try to compel your testimony, we'll have your back. But if you don't, we're going to ruin
1: you. That's that's where John Bolton is the natural experiment in all this, right? I mean, we right. thought, I think two weeks ago, you and I, if we'd been having this conversation, would have thought that Gordon Sondland was on Team Trump in, in the construction, right, that you've just put forth. Mm-hmm. And I think he surprised everyone by trying to somehow uh, uh, thread the needle and be on Team Trump without implicating himself. And the reason he corrected his testimony this week is because he had been implicated. And I think he goes in the bucket of people who, yes, I was a Trump supporter, but I'm not going to jail for the guy. And I think, you know, what's interesting to me is watching John Bolton who similarly, I think, is probably not willing to go to jail for Donald Trump and now has put it in the hands of the federal judicial branch to tell him, it looks like, uh, whether he has to testify or not. But I think that's going to be the, the test of... This theory that I think is correct, which is, look, everybody is implicated, right? Mick Mulvaney is implicated. Bill Barr is implicated. Giuliani is beyond implicated. Uh, There are (laughs) so many players here. Uh, Pompeo, you know, this is filtering down into the State Department, into morale there, into the Justice Department. And I think that at the heart of your question, there is this do we go big or do we go small thing that has been plaguing Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff since they announced Since they announced the impeachment inquiry, which is, do we throw everything at him, including emoluments, including child separation at the border, including uh, corruption and stuff left over from the Mueller report, or do we just narrowly focus it To Ukraine and specifically this quid pro quo and this ask. And I think what you're raising and you're correct to raise it is if you are thinking about the future of democracy, if you are thinking about the norms erosion that we've lived with, it's not enough to go narrow, right? I mean, you want to know if all these people are implicated. I want to know what Mike Pence knew and when he knew it. I want to know what Mike Pompeo knew and when he knew it. And I think that the decision has been taken that that's not the way to go here, and that this isn't like Encyclopedia Brown time, where we try to unearth all the corruption and grift. We're just going to go with, how do we remove this one man from power? And I think it's it's disheartening when you hear, oh, you know, Jeff Sessions is running for his old Senate seat and Mike Pompeo wants to go back uh, to Kansas and run for office, that there is a very high possibility that all of these people are never tagged for anything, uh, much less uh, for – actually participating in what looks like a conspiracy. And I think that the decision rightly or wrongly has been taken that all we can do is tell this one story that, as you say, if you abstract it away from Donald Trump, people understand. And we are not gonna sweep in every bad actor and every bad act, but it will have been enough to have done this. And I and you know, I can't answer for whether you go big or go small on this because I'm not a political tactician. But I think you're absolutely right to deplore what is going to be left on the table.
0: So here's where I come down on. I mean, I, I, I Matt Miller and I talked about this on episode one, and I've been pretty clear in my writing, too, that I think that they should uh, like, widen the aperture enough to include if, if you're going to talk about a, a abuse of power to help Trump in the election you should look at all the abuses of power he's done to help himself personally right because they, they fit a pattern of conduct of even if even if it's not all about the election or all about Ukraine it's like lining your pockets versus uh, getting help on your re-election bid are are both forms of of self-dealing in a way right mm-hmm. um, but but the um the it, even if you're not going to to leave the four corners of Ukraine. Like, I I think that there are dots to connect within Ukraine that are going unconnected. And like you mentioned, you mentioned Mike Pompeo, like his role in all this has been uh, kind of left to the side, even though he's quite clearly implicated and has been caught lying over and over and over again. Um, and, that, and, and I think that that's a mistake, too, in that like if you want to remove the man, you need to get these numbers to move further right like it's remarkable that half the country wants more than half the country wants to remove this guy from office through the impeachment power Um, but you need that number to go a little higher if you're gonna get Republicans to actually vote for it right and if you leave it at the quid pro quo and then let Trump get everything everything else dumped into this other bucket of impeachable offenses which is obstruction right like like we're gonna impeach him for the for the conduct On the on the phone call and everything that led up to it and we're going to impeach him for obstructing the investigation of that scheme where this ends up, I think, is Republicans, you know, try to uh, fend this all off as long as they can. They take on more and more water until they get to time to vote and they just decide, okay, we are going to vote to acquit the president for both the Ukraine thing and for obstructing Congress. And if that works, it's like – it's the end of oversight at least for Republican presidents, right? Um, Because I don't think that after this is all over, if Democrats ever get a toehold on power again, that they're just going to be like, well, Donald Trump got away with shutting down oversight altogether and and trying to nullify the impeachment power and so on and so on. So we can just do the same thing. And I wouldn't want them to, right? Like, As like a liberal and a journalist, I don't think that that would be – a good outcome. But if Democrats are insistent on going that route, they're going to leave us stuck with this double standard before they've even tried to like compel John Bolton to, to sit in front of the impeachment committees and say what he knows, right? Like they have this inherent power in the House to compel these people to testify. And some of them don't work in the executive branch anymore. And if they reach the end of this line without without forcing the issue, A, we're not going to learn the full extent of the scandal, but B, the scandal is going to be put behind us and they are going to have gotten away with the cover-up. And um, I worry about it, frankly.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's worrisome. And <laughs> I, think, I think it goes to this other point about Watergate that is inapposite to the present moment. Watergate, you know, I, I mentioned and, and we talked about there was a set of undisputed facts that people consumed uh, through media and came to undisputed conclusions across political lines. The other part of Watergate that I think we forget about is that Republicans were on board at some point and that at some point finding the truth was more important than uh, protecting your guy. And I don't see any evidence of that transpiring. And so the most important thing you're saying, and I think we forget this, is that post-Watergate, when there was a huge national reckoning about what went wrong and how to effectuate legislation and ethics rules that would prevent it from going wrong. That was a bipartisan enterprise. Everybody came together and said, this could never happen again. And I think you're so right to say, when one side is saying, this isn't happening now, it isn't happening, don't believe your eyes, don't believe the testimony, don't believe... Multiple layers of indisputable proof. It's not happening. You're never going to get a bipartisan effort to stop it from happening again. And this goes to my core worry if we're going to be existential and sad, um, which <laughs> is that I think institutions are breaking. And, you know, yeah. we've talked about the media, we've talked about the Congress, we could talk about the courts, but I think that. Part of the reason that uh, so much of public opinion is sealed in amber and that there is a huge uh, number of Americans who simply believe that Donald Trump can do no wrong and has done no wrong and that's not to be dislodged is just because I think mistrust in the idea of fair and uh, balanced journalism is gone, mistrust in the idea of of government as a force for good is gone. And again, I think so much of the lessons for me of the last few years are that a lot of things that we believed were rules or were traditions are just soft norms that are gone.
0: Right. Well, I've got to leave it there. Um, But everyone, um, even non-lawyers, should check out Dahlia's podcast, Amicus. And, And Dahlia, thanks for being on Rubicon. And I also hope you'll come back again.
1: I would love to. Thank you for having me.
0: That's it for this week. Uh, But one thing I should mention before we go is that the public impeachment inquiry hearings will begin next week, starting Wednesday with Bill Taylor. Uh, He's the career public servant who was acting ambassador to Ukraine when when the quid pro quo plot unfolded, and he kept tons of records documenting the plan to shake Ukraine down. So that'll be fascinating on its own terms. But it will also be relevant to what we discussed here today, which is, Can Republicans really keep Trump supporters walled off from the truth when the entire world is watching the truth play out on television? Uh, So we may have a better sense of that next week, and I'll talk to you then.